David mentioned at the beginning of his talk last week, at the beginning of chapter 3, that it started off for this reason. And then he mentioned that Paul went off and deviated a bit from the reason. So in verse 14 we come back to it, for this reason. Now the reason that he's referring to is at the end of chapter 2, um, which is really from chapter 2, verse 11, through to the end of chapter 2. And in that section, if you remember, was really where Paul was reminding them of where they had come from. They were Gentiles, and as Gentiles, they were apart from the will of God. They were not in God's plan. They were aliens. They were apart from where God had put his name with the lineage of Abraham through Isaac and through Jacob. And the mystery in the, that it referred to was the bringing together of the Gentiles and the Jews into one, into the body of Christ. And through the blood of Christ, through the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the love of God, the grace of God, then we get the Jews and the Gentiles coming together and they are one in the body of Christ. And then, as if that in itself was not enough, then he then takes us into uh, church doctrine, where he goes on to talk about the reconciliation also, that there was a foundation that was laid. And upon the foundation of the apostles, the apostles, of course, were teaching the teaching of Christ. And upon that foundation, Jesus Christ himself was the cornerstone. And then at the end of the, the, the chapter, it talks about the whole building being fitted together growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. And here you see the reading of the foundations, the cornerstone, aligned to the cornerstone of Christ. And you read elsewhere, living stones built up, each several building, the buildings together forming the temple place where God dwells, which is God's house. And then when all of that is done, and he said all of that, the bringing together of Jew and Gentile, the foundation of the apostles' teaching, the cornerstone which is Christ's son over God's house, the building up of that together, then he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. It's really a lovely start to this section is really the appreciation that Paul had because that appreciation really motivated him and he was passing that motivation on to the church of God in Ephesus and he's saying to them this is what's important this is the reason this is what is important is that we Submit before the Father. It's all about submission. 
it's not the will of man, and this is what part of the problem that they had then, and we certainly have now, is this the wrong attitude that many of those of us in the church, the body of Christ, have towards submission to the will of God, is that people will choose their church, they will choose their direction of Christianity, their direction of service, based on what they think is right. What they deem is what God wants them to do, but what fits in their circumstances. What Paul is saying here, no, when you look at it all, bow the knee, submit before the Father, because that is the start. That's the first thing you do. You don't set out to see what you think is right for you. You submit to what God desires, God's will is. And that's the reason I submit. That's the reason he shows his submission by his posture. Sometimes it's an interesting thing also to think about, you know, I don't know how you pray. Um, I used to have very much an attitude of, well, I remember getting very excited about find, when I was younger, finding out that you can pray to God anywhere, anytime. You can be riding your bicycle, you can be driving your car, and you can pray to God. And uh, I remember thinking, that's great, because I used to find it quite difficult to try, try and find the, the, the closet. You can't always find the closet at the right time. You've got something you want to say to God, and uh, I want to do it now. But then it's a, a fuller realisation that, okay, that's got its place. It's good that you can talk to God any time. But there are times when you need to bow the knee. And it's important that you find time to do that. That you go away into your closet, you shut the door, you have no distractions. And the first thing you do is to submit to your Father. And the posture I've found is important because it sets me up. It's not for him, it's for me. That I express my innermost feelings by my posture. I bow the knee because it's important <coughs> and I want to express how important it is to me by my posture. And I also find that in these times, is when God speaks. Because in order to listen to God, and when you're praying, you listen as well. It's a two-way thing. I don't know whether you found that God speaks when you're speaking. <laughs> because he puts things into your mind. He puts things into your heart. You can be unburdening your soul about something, and something will spring into your mind. That's, that's God responding. That's the Holy Spirit. And that doesn't happen to me anyway, when I'm driving <laughs> or when I'm doing something else, uh, when I'm talking to God. Because the spiritual posture is wrong. I've got too many things in my mind jumping about. So, I just throw that one in just uh, for your consideration. Um, I know everybody's different. 
find what works for them and uh, what they get the most out of. But here, I think it's important that what uh, Paul is saying is uh, I bow the knee because of what I have just spoken about <coughs> and the importance of it all. And really when you bring it into all the other things that you've got in your life, all the other things that crowd in family problems, <coughs> career problems, house problems, husband, wife problems, whatever, all the things that, that constitute normal living, uh, there is nothing more important than, it, than the things that Paul laid out in chapter 2. But remember where you come from. Remember your uh, heritage. You're coming together in the body of Christ and also appreciate what you have been asked to be built up into. Somewhere where God wants to dwell. And that <coughs> is why he bows at me. Because the appreciation that we've been called into this is mind-blowing because who am I? As David said, who am I and what is my house that you have called me into this? That you have brought me this far? You know, constantly think, and this is what Paul was doing, absolutely amazed that little me, <laughs> in all my simple mindedness, and my um, comparison with other great men and women in the world, you think, why has God called me? It's just amazing. It makes you bow the knee and realize, wow, he's called me. talks about it is uh, from every family in heaven on earth derives its name. Again, when we're thinking about the Father, we are thinking about what happens on earth is a, should be a shadow of what happens in heaven. In heaven, he is the head of the family, if you like. Although in the angelic world there is no giving and taking in marriage and so therefore it's not a family unit as you would have in this world. But the principle to same of the head of the unit of a, a grouping together of a, one mind where <coughs> the father's will is done in the perfect family where everyone else submits to him who has a rule over them. That happens in heaven. That is what should happen on earth and should happen amongst the people of God is a submission to our Father in heaven. And that he would grant according to the riches of his glory that we be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. I think in, again, the, what Paul was targeting here and what he's, he's pointing the church of God in Ephesus towards is that the power comes from God and we again can relate to why he's saying this because we time and time again just seek to do things by our own power by our own might and we get crowded and we get swamped and we get to the point sometimes where we give up because we just can't do it. 
course we can't do that. God knows that on our own might we can't do it. But in order that we might benefit and be granted and appreciate the riches of his glory, then we need to be aware that it's the Holy Spirit within us that grants us the strength, that grants us the power, and grants us the appreciation of the riches of his glory. Some of the things we read sometimes about the greatness of God, we often talk about it expressed through Christ, of course, but that ability of understanding and appreciating God's glory is not given to everybody. It's certainly not given to those who are not Christians. Um, because these people are dead as far in the eyes of God. They have, do not have the Holy Spirit within them. Therefore, any appreciation of the magnitude and glory of Almighty God is not there. It's only opportune for those who have the Holy Spirit within them. But he can be suppressed in us. We can dismiss him, we can park him, we can cover him, we can smother him by filling our lives with the things of this world and therefore we don't <coughs> and don't get the riches of his glory. The riches of his glory is something that we should be enjoying on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, uh, not just at special times when we come upon. And that is because we're depriving ourselves if we don't do that. And I think Paul was appreciating this in his experience as his life went on and he's passing it on to the church of God in Ephesus. That if you want to appreciate these things, you have to first of all appreciate it comes from God. Therefore, you have to be open to it. You have to be appreciating the Holy Spirit is within you. You have to appreciate that he, his power is limitless. You there is nothing he cannot do through you. You want to empty yourself, as I do, and, and be able to wait on him so that he will reveal first his glory. Because we need motivation. I was thinking about that this morning, about our Thanksgiving. Is that, you know, you think, what, what gets you out of your bed in the morning? What gets you here? Why do you come? Um, what do you get out of it? You know, what do you talk about afterwards? I mean, what is your appreciation of what we did this morning? God showed his, revealed his glory this morning. Did you see it? And I think this is where you then have to, if, you, if the answer to that is no, because we were sitting thinking about that film we watched last night, or you're sitting thinking about the what you stuck in the oven uh, before you came out and forgot it turn it on or whatever it might be that's gone through your mind then when it comes to that we've lost the opportunity of seeing the glory of God who was willing to prepare and prepared to show us in a very unique way but the onus is still on us we have the opportunity of accepting or rejecting this we can suppress it and so, what 
Paul is saying here, it's according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. And this inner man bit is uh, the bit that nobody sees, that you know. It's between you and God. The inner person, the soul, the spirit. The bit that communes with him. The real you. The outward appearance is flesh and will one day die. But the living part, the inner man, is what is important, but live forever. And therefore there's an opportunity now for us to appreciate this. Christ dwells in your heart so that Christ may dwell in your heart. Interesting, I, David mentioned it last week, was at the Church of God in Ephesus when the Lord uh, wrote the letter <coughs> through John to the Church of God in Ephesus. He said to them, I have this against you that you have left your first love. And here, this earlier letter to the church is telling them that Christ may dwell in their heart through faith if you're rooted and grounded in love. I think whether Paul was aware of the beginnings of the Thedings, I don't know. But it's a warning to all of us. It's a, it's a warning to every church of God that your first love that love that you had, that appreciation that you had when you first recognised that you'd been saved from eternal damnation, you had been saved from death. The word saved, which is used sometimes so blandly, is something that we should never ever lose the picture of, of where we came from. Talking earlier about the Gentiles, the Gentiles who in the Old Testament were a people who were lost, they, were, they had no hope. And that was us. But we've been brought together with the Jews. We have been brought together in order to have the opportunity of being saved. And that salvation is something where that love, that appreciation that you suddenly have, wow. We're talking about eternity here. We're talking about the love of Christ that came died for us in order that we might have eternal life. It's these are these words that just slip off the tongue for many of us who have been Christians for such a long time. It's the appreciation of that in the inner man. And as the, the Lord said, you know, uh, you've lost your first love. And as he said to the church of God in Laodicea, behold I stand at the door and knock. So there's a picture that if we lose our first love, then Christ is not in our hearts. Our inner man is not functioning. The Holy Spirit within us is not causing us to build up. We are not appreciating the glory of God if Christ is not central and focused in our lives. And so we need to be rooted and grounded in love. Now that, that expression, rooted and grounded, is like a picture of something that is growing and that should be us it's like a tree planted by the river is that the roots 
uh, will establish whether in fact the tree is going to grow and the tree will produce its fruit based on the rooting and the grounding of the tree. And that's exactly what Paul's saying about us, about the Church of God in Ephesus, to each one individually. Are you rooted and grounded in love? So in other words, is it, are you drawing from God love? In such a way it's continuous. I remember watching a programme on television about how a tree functions and they'd actually broken it down as to how much water was actually being drawn from the roots of a, a tree and going up its trunk <coughs> out into the branches. And somehow, I don't know, remember how they did it, they were able to establish the quantities. And it was absolutely mind-blowing. It was, it was like a fire engine massive hose, the water that was coming up from this one tree and being dispersed throughout, fed into each individual bud or, or leaf or fruit, whatever it was going. And that is a picture of what's being painted here, is that we need to draw on the love. Now how does that work? How, what does that look like? Um, that appreciation that you have on a Lordly morning when we come together here is only one part of a week where you're coming together to just draw on the love of Christ. Although it's a, a remembrance of a time when we should we are giving thanksgiving, we are offering sacrifices, we all know that these are times when we draw because we listen and appreciate the offerings of others. And we are able to say amen because we are asked to come together. Which is the purposes of God and a people coming together. Forsake not the gathering of yourselves together. Why? Because we draw on each other. And uh, it's like the sucking of the love of Christ, the love of God, into our lives. We draw from other people's offerings. We draw from other people's appreciation. But it's all from God. And if you're an isolated saint, or if you're an isolated Christian on your own, then you're going to be limited as to what you can get drawing in the love of Christ. So an encouragement, and that's why um, these buildings, each building, fitly framed together, forms the house. Churches of God are different buildings that need to come together. That's why it's important for district events. That's important for conferences. They're coming together to draw on one another in appreciation of the Lord Jesus Christ, in appreciation of what the will of God is. That we might be able to understand with all the saints, with all the saints, what is the parameters. You know, that, again, is a subject in itself as to, well, what are the parameters of God? How do we have knowledge and understanding of the parameters of God? He is so vast. I don't know if you saw in the news this week about the talking about, I don't understand, about two holes in the, in the, the universe that are coming together and 
gravitational field being formed and uh, they're all excited about this. I don't know, I don't understand it enough to get excited about it, but it's just outside of my understanding that they are getting saying that there's things going on that they've never appreciated before and that there's, it's, it's, it's growing. Things are, again, they're almost saying they're eternal. There's just no end to it all. And you think, wow, even that from the scientific point of view is showing the magnitude of God. What parameters do you put on God? We can't put any on him. We parameters on ourselves, our limitations are obvious and pretty small. But he comes to God. But he indwells us. If we are drawing on that, if we are able to understand with all the saints, and again, as I'm saying, the importance of the coming together and drawing from each other, if we are able to uh, understand the parameters and to know the love of Christ, he has to be in our heart. You can know about Christ on the outside place, but you can see him afar. You can appreciate to a limited degree. But if you've got Christ in your heart, then that takes on a total different dimension. But it's, again, it's, we're talking spiritual here. You know, is it, when does Christ in your heart and when is he not? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Is he knocking and you're saying no? Or have you just let him in, but he's only in for a short time and he's back out again? I suppose we know that as we studied in James about works and faith, that there is a need and an evidence of Christ being in our hearts by the way we live, the way we talk, the way we act. Because it has to be that way. We know we talk often say we don't fool each other. Or sorry, we can't we don't fool God, but we can't fool each other. But really, in our work and our demeanour, we often talk about Christ likeness. That should be seen in us. And people will know us by what we see. Um, To know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. We talked about the parameters of God and here you're talking that we can be filled up with the fullness of God. These are things that are not just words. These, this is the voice of God telling you what is available to us. And therefore we should be looking at ways in which that can pan out in our lives. What is the fullness of has somebody got that amongst us that somebody else hasn't got that? How is it manifest? And what? Why would you want it? Because sometimes there's a, a, a thought that these things are hard to obtain. That you need to be sitting down studying the Word of God all night, every night, in order to be able to, to grow to this extent. If it's a an effort, if it's something that you're having to force yourself to do, then I would suggest you draw back a bit because your motivation's wrong. 
Why are you doing it? We were thinking in prayer this morning about, you know, what, what is it that makes us come here? What is it that um, the Lord was saying to his disciples in the upper room? Was it something that he was just wanting to show them that he washed their feet to start with? And as he talked about his death, and as he talked about hoping that they would remember, okay, we thought it's a command, but there was a, he knew the heart of man, and he knew that the vast majority of people that he created were not going to fulfill that commandment. Certainly not in the way that he wanted. And there was a, a pleading, I think, there. But it comes back to, is it nothing to you? What is it that the death of Christ is to you on a personal basis? Therefore, is that motivating you to, through the Holy Spirit, be asking and pleading that the will of God will be made known to you? So that through his word, through the indwelling Holy Spirit, that there's no doubt in your mind that God will speak to you. And when he does speak to you, you'll listen and respond. And that will give you the understanding, the knowledge, the rooted and grounding of the water of life that comes into us, that sustains us and makes us grow, ensuring that we are in the right place doing the right thing. Where the, the doubts come in, undoubtedly, <laughs> They come into our lives time to time, but that's usually when we've not been before the Lord. It's usually when we're not in constant communion with Him, that we're not aware of Him every part of our lives. Just to finish up with now, to Him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. I think that is just lovely, because we often talk about Many of us Christians think of God as a big father Christmas and we all just get down on our knees to him and we ask him for this and we ask him for that and we wonder why we don't get any response. Um, he knows what we want. We need to trust him. And that trust is being able to come to God and say, I think this, it seems obvious to me, but you are far. You are far more knowledgeable and you see the future then over to you. <clears throat> I ask for this because that's what I see. I ask for this because that's what you've shown me in your word, but I might have got it wrong. And so when God say, yeah, you did, I've got it wrong. And I'm taking you somewhere else. That we bow the knee. That we are able for that reason. We bow the knee. That is trust. That is being able to be subject to him in every aspect of our life. And able to <clears throat> recognise that way beyond our thinking, God is working in our lives because he's called us. He has a use for us. And as we pray, we always pray, thy will be done. <clears throat> because we, we know that that's all we want. We 
said that we should never want to do anything that isn't in his will. And if we find out his will is that way, why would we want him to do it? take it somewhere else? <coughs> it's only going to end up in tears. <coughs> because, and as Paul finished in this part of his letter, he says, to him be the glory. That's the purpose of it all, is to glorify him. That's what our lives should be totally constructed in a way that that's its main function and that's our aim that we fulfil that that he be glorified in the church so therefore it has to start with us that he's glorified in our lives and that we who come together to the church of God in Manchester that he's glorified in the church that he's not somebody who is outside of our hearts in the church, that this is not a church where we have lost our first love, that we are a church of in individuals coming together who love the Lord and who are drawing from the love of God into this growing thing. Now the growing, I often think about numbers, it's not just numbers. And it's about each one of us growing spiritually, enhancing each other, showing love to one another so that the church is enhanced and it's growing and it's growing spiritually and it should end up numerically remember from the numbers point of view is again trusting God if we are doing what God wants God will act this is his house this 